Welcome to the Parkway Live Church Podcast. Thank you for taking time to let God's Word impact you. Always encouraged to know God is touching lives through this ministry. Please visit parkwaylife.com to let us know. You can also hit the giving tab to sow into the ministry that you are experiencing. Now, prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Regardless of where you stand on technology and social media and the challenges of today, I can pretty much um, say a statement that everybody is going to agree with. Parenting is not easy. It's not easy today. Um, Although, to be honest, wouldn't our parents have said the same thing? Uh, Our parents would have said the exact same things when they were raising up. Remember the good old days when a phone was a phone and it was attached to a wall with a big long cord? And um, now phones are mini computers. That's what they are. I mean, the computers of 20 years ago, you can fit in your pocket. And there are many computers, internet ready, loaded with possibilities. Good and bad. Good and bad. Most young people, this stat blew me away when I was studying for this. Most young people, when I say young people, I'm talking uh, teenage age to millennial, okay? That's what I'm talking here. Consume over nine hours of media per day. I'm not talking nine hours of just sitting down watching television, but nine hours of screen time per day. 92% of teens go online daily. 24% say that they are never not online. 71% of teens use more than one social network. On average, kids are 12 when they receive their first smartphone. 56% of kids 8 to 12 have a smartphone. 90% of kids and teenagers sleep with their phones five feet or less from them. 90%. In a world where over three quarters of young people have a smartphone in their pocket, parents oftentimes, I've talked to many that feel overwhelmed by the prospect of just dealing with the technology. How do I deal with it? How can parents be proactive about equipping their kids to make good decisions with technology. I want to help you answer four big questions tonight. And I'm not going to hesitate much because I'm going to dig in and I've got a ton of stuff that I want to give you tonight. It's going to help you. I really feel like it is. And and so take notes. Four questions that we can answer. The number one question, the first question is this. Do I really need to meddle in my kids' use of technology? Do I really need to meddle in it? The thing that we can't do is ignore what they're doing with technology and hope for the best. Sometimes it proves difficult for parents to keep up with all the technology that goes on. It changes daily. In fact, in 2014, an internet security company, McAfee, uh, surveyed parents about their kids' use of technology and the internet, and they found some pretty surprising results. An overwhelming 74% of parents claimed they don't have the time or energy to keep up with everything their kids are doing with technology. And they also said they're overwhelmed by modern technology, so they just hope for the best. Is that really the best policy that we should have dealing with technology with our kids and our grandkids, that we would just hope for the best? Well, Michael, it's just a phone. It's just a phone. What if we use this logic when we want our kids to drive a vehicle. Imagine a world where kids open up a present on on Christmas morning. 
a set of car keys. Enjoy your brand new convertible Mustang, son. The only problem is he's never been taught how to drive. Never been taught how to drive. Some might argue, how hard is it? You just brake, gas, steer. Sometimes turn signals, depending on where you're at, okay? All right? How difficult can it be, really? Parents realized long ago that driving a car is a great responsibility. Laws protect us from drunken drivers, people running red lights, or could be a catastrophic wreck when, you know, when, when things in traffic laws. Laws protect us from that. But whenever somebody violates these laws or these rules as strict as they are, people are hurt, even killed. We recognize that driving is an immense responsibility. Enter the smartphone, stage left. Enjoy your brand new iPhone 7 plus, 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 S plus, C, whatever the new phone is going to be. We don't give them an ounce of instruction. How silly is that? Sure, we, th we tell ourselves, these kids understand technology more than I could ever, right? They know how to turn it on. They know how to do everything. I mean, my kid's two, and he knows how to navigate to YouTube kids on my phone. My kid is two, right? He knows how to do it. But don't mistake technical savvy for wisdom. Don't mistake technical savvy for wisdom. Just because they know how to get there doesn't mean they know how to use it. Doesn't mean they know how to use it. Just because they can snap a picture, comment, and post it to Instagram with one thumb, probably blindfolded, does not mean that they know how to use wisdom. And that's where you enter as the parent and the grandparent and the influencer in their life. You know, it doesn't mean that they're making appropriate decisions. It doesn't mean that they're making appropriate decisions. We have to ask ourselves questions. Uh, the, the, they have to ask themselves questions like, was this picture appropriate? Do they know everyone that's viewing the picture? Did they inadvertently send out their location through location services with this picture? We don't just hand our kids a set of car keys and we say, good luck. Why would we do that with a smartphone? A device proving that can, it can be extremely powerful with devastating consequences with those who misuse it. In most states, our kids need to study traffic laws and even pass several uh, tests before they're even proven worthy of sitting behind the wheel of a vehicle. Oftentimes, as, you know, when I grew up as growing and learning how to drive, my dad had to sit with me for like what seemed like a million hours while I drove. That was like, that was the worst time I'm in my life. Like, right? My dad was like, be careful when you merge into traffic. Don't speed up too fast. Don't slow down too fast, right? <laughs> he was always there. He was like making sure, I, I, I'm not doing this. Don't turn too fast. Don't do this. Listen to your car. Turn the air conditioner off so you can listen. Why would you turn the air conditioner off so you can listen to the car? My dad wanted me to listen to my van because apparently you need a radiator or something like that. Technology has its own set of issues in which parents need to talk with their kids. you got to talk with them. Tonight we're going to address many of those, and, I, and, I, and I'm moving on quickly. And uh, uh, let me just kind of add as a caveat to this. If you have any questions that you'd like to ask me after this, at another point, I would love to sit down and talk with you about this. This is something I'm passionate about. Technology can be one of the greatest things, one of the greatest tools for the kingdom, but it can be one, also one of the greatest pitfalls of this generation. So I want to help it be a tool, 
and not a pitfall. So uh, the second question that we need to ask ourselves is this. How do I place, how do I replace overreaction with interaction? Replace overreaction with interaction about technology. We need to replace overreaction with interaction, opening the doors to communication in our home. I want to introduce to you two very, very important people when I make my point. Nagging Nancy and Angry Angus. Can you throw them on the screen, please? Uh, that's Nagging Nancy and Angry Angus. I don't know that anybody names their kid Angus, but it works for me. Um, so <laughs> I, I want to I show you who they are. Nancy is not a bad person. Nagging Nancy is not a bad person. She really means well and she really loves her kids and she cares and she's invested in her kids' life. But that's why she's constantly reminding them what's best to do in any given situation. Did you do your homework? Did you pack your lunch? Why do you do your hair like that? Why do you slouch so much? Nancy's kids never have to think for themselves because Nancy is always thinking for them. Angus loves his kids as well, and he hates to see them make bad choices or to disobey. And he's afraid they won't take him seriously when he's gentle. So what he does is he yells all the time. He slams his hand down on the, on the table, and, and his, his kids don't respect him. They fear him. Here's the thing. None of us want to be Nancy or Angus. None of us want to be that parent or grandparent. But what it does is it requires us to communicate intentionally so we don't become them. We have to communicate intentionally so we don't become, there, become them. Somewhere out there, there's a perfect kid who never spends too much time on social media, who never comments, gives an inappropriate comment on a picture, who never likes or follows an account that might would be connected with a pornography account, that has never listened to a bad song on their phone or watched a movie that was inappropriate. Somewhere there's that kid out there that has been perfect when it comes to social media and technology. But then there's the normal kids. Most of them struggle with at least one of the above that I'm about to read you. And don't be surprised. And Don't be surprised. It's just the truth. They might let technology dominate their time. Interfering with homework, family time, or other priorities. They might flirt with danger. They could become so reliant on screen communications that face-to-face communication actually becomes difficult for them. They might use technology late at night, allowing them to interfere with their sleep. They might access inappropriate pictures, songs, or videos. They can engage with in dangerous online relationships. These are just some of the most common ways that young people push the limits of technology every day. Most of our kids, eventually, I know Ethan is going to make a mistake, big or small. He's going to make a mistake with technology. But the question is for us in this room tonight is how will we respond? That's the question. It's not an if. They will mess up. It's not an if. They're going to. There's no perfect kids I would love to think Ethan is going to be one, but he's just not. But the question is, how will we respond? The typical response of parenting is with an overreaction. An overreaction similar to this. You downloaded what? What got into you? I did not raise a kid like this. I did not 
raise a kid like, I guess you're not going to be mature enough to handle your own laptop. I guess we're just going to burn it. We laugh because we've heard it. We laugh because my dad burnt my CDs. Okay? We laugh because we've been there. We've been there. But what we've got to do as parents and what we've got to do as grandparents is we've got to replace overreaction with interaction because interaction makes a difference. Overreaction creates fear. With our kids and our grandkids, we don't want them to operate out of fear because what happens is when they operate out of fear, when they turn 18, they leave us. They leave us and they never come back. When they operate, when we operate out of interaction, we create discussion. We create involvement. They see that we care. Even when they make mistakes, they're willing to come to us and say, Dad, Mom, I messed up. Can you help me? I'm addicted to pornography. Can you help me? I'm addicted to, to my phone. Can you help me? Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you should let your kids do whatever they want with technology. That's not what I'm saying and get away with it, whatever they want with their phones and their computers. What I'm suggesting is that we replace this overreaction with interaction. So how can we respond to a generation of young people who spend an average of, of nine hours of day, nine hours of the day in interaction media, entertainment media, and sometimes grow a little bit too comfortable with the lies of this world? The Apostle Paul demonstrates an appropriate response in, in the book of Acts chapter 17, uh, Verses 16 through 34. I won't read uh, all of it today. But Paul wanted to share the truth with the people of Athens. The people who, like many of our kids, were completely immersed with secular culture. Let's take a peek at how Paul responds. We'll put this on the screen. Uh, verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he, would, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. And he spoke daily of the, to the, in the public square to all who happened to be there. First, Paul went to speak to them and he was deeply troubled when he saw all the, the idols. He saw all the things that people were worshiping. He was troubled. He was upset. He was, uh, really, he was mad about it. That leads us to where we are as parents. He had a reaction. But his reaction could have been... Throwing a fit. He could have been upset. He could have slammed his hand on the table and said, Why in the world are you doing this? I didn't raise these kind of believers. I didn't raise these kind of people. But what he did was he reasoned with them. With the people and he interacted with them daily. He used their idols as a springboard for interaction. He used the thing that was negative in context... In context, as a springboard for interaction. Notice that. He used the thing that he was completely against as a discussion point. As a discussion point. Think about what that might look like in your home. We, like Paul, might be, you know, might, we might be very troubled by what we see with many of the distractions that our kids encounter with technology today. This is why Paul said, Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. I notice that this is very important to you. For what I was walking, when I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had a, this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one that I'm telling you about. 
He used their idols to connect them to Jesus. He used the negativity, used that to connect them to Jesus. Parents, what we've got to do is when our kids make a mistake, we've got to somehow use that mistake as a springboard to get them back on on the task to Jesus. We've got to use that when they make mistakes, it's not an if, it's a when. When they make mistakes, we've got to use interaction as a springboard to get them back to Jesus. Let me ask you, if our reaction is, is this, maybe their child, our child kind of wanders into dangerous territory with their phones or violates a guideline that you've set with using technology in your home, which would, do you think would be better? Slamming your fist on the table, embarking in an angry tirade, and finally grounding them for the rest of their life. Or you calmly ask them to set their phone on the table, and you ask them to go up to their room while you think about the situation. You get a, give it a, a couple of hours, you pray about it, you ask God to give you great wisdom And then you begin to talk to them and interact with them about the natural consequences of their actions. Then call, just call that out of them and begin to correct. Option B not only gives, gives you time to calm down, but it gives you a chance to talk through some questions that you can ask them and dialogue about the situation. I know when we think dialogue, it sounds a lot like monologue, but these are not the same thing. Mono is single. When we, a lot of times when we talk to our kids, it's a monologue. It's a monologue. You, you listen to me when I'm talking. But the reality is what we really need is dialogue. Because if they're doing something that's breaking the rules or they're doing something and they're searching for something extra, the reality is that there's something missing. And you've got to dialogue with them to find what's missing. You've got to create dialogue with them to find out what's missing in their heart. If it's maybe a girl uh, who's searching online for a relationship, it's because maybe she's not finding enough attention, and you've got to call that out of her, and you've got to talk with her. Maybe it's a young man who's addicted to pornography, and he just can't seem to, to get away from it. You've got to call that out and figure out what's going on inside of his heart, because the heart will eventually translate into what's going on. If the heart's right, everything else is going to take care of itself. So what we've got to do is not condemn them, not condemn them in mistakes, not condemn them in their trial, but we've got to walk them through it through dialogue, through dialogue. So we've got to move from overreaction to interaction. Let me, let me preface, let me just tell you, I have never met a parent with perfect children. All of our kids are going to mess up. But when we move from overreaction to interaction... We open up the doors of dialogue in our home. In a world where kids have access to many different facets of technology, not only in your home, but in, your, in the schools and everywhere in between. If we teach them to dedicate their lives to Jesus, we can change them. The third question is this. How can I consistently engage in meaningful conversations about inter- inter- entertainment, media, and technology. Caring parents should look for every opportunity to engage in meaningful conversations. Let me ask this. Let me begin by asking a question of this part. What are the best ways 
to engage with your kid. Now, if you were to Google this, I know this, bless you, I would know this because I Googled it this week. <laughs> if you Google what are the best ways to interact with your kid dealing with entertainment media, you're going to get like 30 different ways to do it, right? 30 different the best ways, right? There'll be Some experts would say that being hands-off with your kids and letting them be free and figured out for themselves, uh, uh, then they learn life's lessons, often the hard way, and you talk with them about what they learn, offering advice and wise counsel. Others would argue the complete opposite, the urging us to raise the bar and be consistent with discipline and rewards, teach them right and wrong and hold them accountable. Some would say that empowerment is the key. Parents should be teaching the right choices, empowering them to make them. You'll find parenting styles all over the spectrum, and I got bad news for you. I'm not going to tell you which way is right. That's not my role. You're going to find some that are too lenient, some that are too strict, and some that are in between, okay? All of them cite research, and all of them, all, almost all of them have people that disagree with them. But truly, every last one of them agrees on one common denominator. Healthy dialogue. Healthy dialogue. Everyone agrees on this one basic principle. Parents and kids dialoguing together. You know, when Moses, even Moses taught this basic truth, he implored God's, uh, God's people not only to commit to the commands, but to repeat them again and again. Check it out in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He says, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. That's a little bit higher of a calling than just bringing our kids to church. It's the one unquestioned, undisputed, undeniable parenting technique that I can find in the Bible. Talk with your kids regularly, every day. Talk with them. Engage with meaningful dialogue. Dialogue. If parents can master, if we can master this one tool of dialogue, we can save ourselves a whole lot of heartache down the line. We can save ourselves a whole lot of issues down the line with our teens because the reality is they just want somebody that, that's going to listen to them. I promise you, if you will listen to them, you'll be able to say more to them than you ever would have been able to do if you were just talking to them. If you will just open up and listen to them. They want somebody that's going to engage in them and engage with them and ask questions like this about technology. Hey, what's your favorite app? What's a new app that you've downloaded recently that you really like? You throw them the ball. You allow them to engage back with you. Well, you know, I downloaded, I downloaded Shazam. It helps me listen to a, a song in a restaurant, and I can figure out what song it is if I like it, and I can download it. Well, that's pretty cool. I might like that app, and I download that app. Or it might be Snapchat. I downloaded Snapchat. I, I'm going to give you my unsolicited opinion on Snapchat, okay? This is not Parkway Life opinion. Uh, you could also go, if somebody says, if they, I downloaded Snapchat. You could go do research on Snapchat and find out that it was originally created on a college campus to send nudes across college campuses that nobody would know. It also, when they put it in the app store at first, it had an X-rated name. They sent it back. So they could put another name on it. And that's why it's called Snapchat. 
See, that's the things that we have to engage with our kids on. We ask them questions, they respond, and then we can parent. Then we can parent. If we ask questions like this. If, I could, if you could communicate with one person this week using technology, who would it be? Who would you choose and why? If you could text anyone in the world and you knew that they would text you back, who would you text? And what do you think they'd reply? It's engaging conversations about technology. The four, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the questions move us from lecturing to listening. Be careful of the nagging questions. Nagging questions have strings attached. Did you finish your homework? Nagging questions have consequences implied because if you didn't do your homework, you're going to pay for it. Right? Kids don't want to be interrogated by parole officers. And these aren't the kind of questions that we want to, uh, that really provoke dialogue. These are the kinds that, that shut them down. So how can we engage in this without being nagging, interrogating, or creepy? Here's how. I'm going to give you a type of question. And this is, this is, you can break it down like this. Ask noticing questions. Noticing questions. Here's how. You're getting in the vehicle. You're about to leave. You're going somewhere. Hey, why don't you be the DJ today? You may not even like their music. It's not about that. Okay? Hey, why don't you be the DJ? You use the aux cord. It's all you. You plug it in. You play some music. Well, I like that song. Even if you don't like that song. I like that song. What is that song? Who's, it, who's, it, who's that by? You begin to create dialogue with them. And they're going to open up. And maybe you just ha- happen to hit on something they're passionate about. And then they start talking to you about it. And you know how teenagers do. As soon as they start talking, it's... And before long, you know the whole story. You've created an avenue. All you have to do is create a comfortable environment for them to just be willing to talk. Just a little bit. Once you do that, it goes to the next level. Parents, keep your eyes wide open for discussion springboards in daily life. Hey, what do you think about this YouTube video I saw? Check this YouTube video out. They may say, Dad, I saw that like six months ago. All right, I do that with Scott all the time. Um, <laughs> that's actually true. <laughs> Pastor six months late. Um, they, may, they may come back at you and say, I, I, I saw that six months ago. doesn't matter. You engaged with them about it. And you may even get a laugh out of them. You're engaging with them. You're creating. It's that simple. The best way to have a positive impact on your kids is by engaging with infrequent and meaningful conversations. Now, I'm going to finish up with this. I got like five minutes left and I'm going to finish up. How do we raise kids to become wise decision makers with their technology? If we teach our kids to think for themselves when they're removed from the safety of our home, they'll be equipped to make wise decisions on their own. It's the parent's job to raise kids who will someday be making decisions on their own. Think about your own kids for a moment. Think about your own kids. When they turn 18, let's look at it. When they turn 18, they can move out of the house, they can join the military, and they can do whatever they want with technology. Are you preparing them for that day? Intentionally. 
Many parents make the mistake of thinking that they, they can keep their kids safe by denying their kids access to any entertainment media or establishing such strict rules that they're so excited to get out from under those rules that they go off the deep end. Don't get me wrong, I'm not against porn blocks or rules, but we're fools if we think we can deflect every distraction that drops in our kids' hands. What if we taught our kids how to steer clear of distractions and walk with them, teaching them how to make good decisions right in the middle of where they are in, with entertainment and technology? One of the great Bible heroes is Daniel. And at a very young age, Daniel was plucked from the safety of his godly upbringing and, and plopped down right in the middle of the royal court, the courts of Babylon. Uh, Daniel 1, verses 3 through 5 says, Then the king ordered a chief of his court officials to bring the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. So a young man without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind, uh, every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literatures of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. How would your kid respond if they were plucked from the safety of your home and dropped in the, off in Hollywood in the middle of a reality TV show for MTV? That's exactly what this was kind of like. Here's how Daniel responded, though. In verse 8, Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Daniel resolved. Daniel, by himself, without mom or dad, standing guard, decided for himself that he was not going to defile himself. Daniel decided that he would put God first in every decision. And if you read the book of Daniel, you'll see this in action. How can we teach our kids to be Daniels, y'all? So they can make their own decisions well. You know, in the first question, we use this analogy of driving. When we teach our kids to drive, we sit with them and we teach them to make good decisions. They start by learning the rules of the road. Stop signs, we read about them and they're tested on them, what the signs look like. Uh, turn signals using those, hopefully, in Jesus' name. Um, <laughs> then they're instructed how to actually drive the vehicle. Eventually, they sit in the, training, the driver's training vehicle with an instructor right next to them. They learn how to drive on the road. After driving for hours with an instructor, they receive a permit. And for the next six months, they have a permit. And then finally, the day comes, they have a driving test. Hang with me. If they pass, they get a provisional license. This license has restrictions the first few years. No driving with friends in a car. No driving after curfew, etc., Finally, at 18, year old, 18 years old, they can drive with a license with no restrictions. These are Louisiana laws. But if we practiced, what if we practiced this with entertainment and technology? We're talking about the concept of incremental independence. Incremental independence. Just like we don't hand an 8-year-old the keys to your brand new vehicle and say, have fun, Charlie. No, we don't do that. If we teach our kids to make wise decisions with an entertainment, media, and technology, we might want to consider spending some years teaching them what that looks like and empowering them to make some wise decisions. So I want to give you some real-life wise, maybe, I, I, I think wise, but some real-life incremental independence. I'm going to give it to you real life here. This is all adjustable. You're the parent. 
I'm going to give you an idea. Maybe when your daughter is seven years old, you allow her to use the internet while you're in the room with a browser so it can, um, it can be set to only look at certain websites. Maybe when she's 10, she begins asking for an iPhone, but instead she's given a smartwatch with no browser. She can text three pre-programmed people and take pictures with them only. At 13 year, years old, she might get her first smartphone. She agrees to stipulations like home sharing on iTunes and charging the phone in mom and dad's room at night. Side note, to me, I, I'm, I'm going to give you, once again, this is all commentary and opinion, okay? So if you don't agree with this, I, I'm not mad at you. Don't be mad at me. Okay, cool. Um, in my opinion, I think no teenager should charge their phone in their bedroom at nighttime ever. Ever. Like, I'm 31 years old. I charge my phone in the kitchen. Here's the deal. Does it mean I have struggles? No, it means I'm human. Okay? I want to cre- take away every roadblock that my kid might have. Okay? Well, they need an alarm clock. They have them like $3 at Walmart. They're really cheap. Okay? And, or you can come in with water. That's more fun. Okay? Um, but I, in my opinion, I think your kids ought to be charging their phone in your bedroom. That's just my opinion. I'll move on. Um, at 14 years old, she asked to download, download songs off the top of the charts of iTunes and add the song to her favorite online playlist. You require her to print the lyrics or discuss the lyrics before adding the song. Discuss the lyrics. At 16 years old, she asked to download the songs and put them on her, on her, favorite, on her favorite playlist on her own. You ask her, did you read the lyrics? You ask her to tell, you, tell her what she thinks. At 17 years old, she can listen to what she wants. She can watch what she wants. You see everything that she downloads since HomeShare. You have access to her playlist, so you regularly talk about her entertainment choices. And at 17 and a half, during the last, seven, the last six months before she leaves for college, you have no rules. She's allowed to make decisions on her own, all while living in the safety of your home. Here's the deal. I'm not going to tell you the correct way to do it, but what I am going to tell you is that, number one, if we're so strict on them that they can never do anything, as soon as they have a chance to do anything, they're going to do everything. Okay? But that being said, if we can install, use wisdom and install incremental independence with technology, engage in in conversation, okay, engage in conversation, and then have this incremental independence that's what happens when you have an 18 year old that's about to go off to college and you can know i know my kid's not addicted to pornography i know my kid's not communicating with with people i don't want them to i know my kid's not sharing things online also another side note you should follow your kids on every social media account that they are on you should know every social media account your kid should never twin, twinge or, or, or bat an eye when you pick up their phone to read their text messages. Never. If they live in your home. Never. That's your right as the parent. Don't let them tell you that's not. It's your right as, the, as their parent. Okay? You should be able to pick up and read any text message. Side note, spouses. Your wife or your husband should be able to pick up and read text messages. Parents, we have to protect ourselves if we're going to protect our kids, okay? Protect yourself because this is the salvation of your family at stake today.
the salvation of your, of your kids and your family is safe. Hey, why don't you bow your heads? I want to pray over you before we go. Thank you, Jesus, for tonight. I thank you for this opportunity you've given me to speak to parents. God, I pray that I've been able to give just a nugget of wisdom, God, that, that would help them somehow, some way. God, I pray that you, I thank you for the opportunity that, God, some way you might have used me tonight. I pray that you would give these parents great wisdom. Give them great wisdom beyond their years so they could reach and, and, and just build up kids that are, that are awesome, that are holy, that make great choices. And uh, God, I pray that you would touch them and lift them up, give them great wisdom and comfort them today. In Jesus' name I pray.